My three C's are communication, collaboration, and cooperation. It's not just law enforcement. It's law enforcement, animal control, veterinarians, prosecutors. All of us have to work together. Listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 40 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. Episode 40 sounds really exciting and a little bit of like a milestone for me. I was actually 40 years old when I first had the idea to start the podcast. And uh, as you'll hear in my conversation with April today, 40 uh, was a, an important age to to me for a lot of reasons. So episode 40 and having April here, it, it sounds very meaningful to me that these things lined up in this way. <coughs> this episode is brought to you by the Hugs and Belly Rubs Dog Health Journal. One of the most stressful times for me as a dog mom has been when my dogs have been sick. I've had dogs with cancer, with allergies, with mystery illnesses that we haven't been able to get a diagnosis for yet. With the Dog Health Journal, you can schedule your dog's daily meals, medications, supplements, track their appetite, water intake, and even poops. You can record their daily activities and note any changes in their physical appearance, such as lumps and bumps, or their routine. Since our dogs can't talk, it's our job as pet parents to listen to what they're telling us through their behavior and body language. With the Dog Health Journal, you can keep all the information you need to let your veterinarian know all in one place. With the Dog Health Journal bundle, you get your daily pages, you get your vet visit pages, you get a free 23-page ebook of the 12 changes in your dog to never ignore. And you also get tons of dog mom life hacks and general tips for keeping your dog as healthy as possible. So make sure you check the link in the show notes to hugsandbellyrubs.com for the Dog Health Journal. Your dog and your vet will thank you. There's a phrase that we've all probably seen a lot being used in our emails uh, over the last two years since the start of the pandemic, which is, I hope this email finds you well. And I kept thinking that I was going to start this episode by saying that I, I hope that as you're hearing this podcast today, that I hope this podcast finds you feeling well because we're just having such strange times. There's a lot going on in the world, in the news. Um, it's been sort of an emotionally tough week for a lot of us, I, I know. And um, Tim and I were, were having this whole long conversation last night over dinner about the situation in Ukraine and the effects that it's had on us. And I know I've seen a lot of it from friends on social media 
And honestly, sometimes I have had to institute boundaries with myself around social media, um, definitely since the start of the pandemic, where sometimes I'll just delete the Facebook or Instagram apps off my phone so I'm not tempted to sort of mindlessly sit there and scroll through them. And I just have to have a lot of boundaries around my media consumption. Sometimes we don't even turn the TV on. uh, Or if we do, we just purposely put on like Netflix or um, we've been watching. I finally got Apple TV to work for us. And so we have been watching Ted Lasso for the past week, which we're like so late to the party on. But honestly, it's been so exactly what we've needed over this past week, too. Um, So if you haven't watched Ted Lasso yet, oh my gosh. It's one of the best shows I have probably ever seen, and this week that was exactly the kind of self-care that we needed in our house. And where I can even identify with Ted Lasso is just trying to bring some positivity into the world. And I guess that is actually one of my goals and one of my intentions from when I started the podcast, that there's so much heaviness in the world around us at all times, but yet at the same time, there's also so many people who are taking actions that are based out of love. And in our case, in the Believe in Dog podcast case, specifically based on the love of animals, on the love of their dog, people are so inspired that they're going out and changing their own lives, and in some cases, even helping to change the world around them in a positive way, just out of love. And we're going to talk to April Darty today. It is such an absolute honor and pleasure to have her here. I can't wait for you to hear her story. And April has dedicated her career to fighting against animal abuse. And she works as a paralegal in the prosecutor's office for Baltimore County here in Maryland. And she's also been dealing with a breast cancer battle. So these two things, her career as a paralegal and her battle with breast cancer, are even more particularly meaningful to me, Erin, as a person. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Um, I don't talk about my day job on the podcast a lot for a lot of reasons, but I actually work as a paralegal and have for over 20 years now. And so I already felt a little bit of like a kinship with April because we're both paralegals, even though she does something super amazingly cool with hers. And I have some cool stories too, but it doesn't revolve around animals. (laughs) And I also am a breast cancer survivor. Uh, That's something else I I haven't ever talked about a whole lot on the podcast. Uh, I started the podcast at the end of 2019, and it was actually in June of 2019, when I officially became a survivor. And the whole diagnosis of getting breast cancer, which uh, was almost four years ago now, really just sort of threw my life like off its axis. And it was really emotionally hard. And I thank April so much for letting me share some of that story with her today. And, uh, She's really an amazing person. I'm going to make sure that you have links in the show notes because I want to make sure that you go and follow her on social media if you're not already because she is just one of the most like open and honest, emotionally vulnerable people that I've seen uh, in, in sharing their, their journey with something like this. And, and she's helped me a lot with processing some of my emotions even sort of after the fact. 
And April is really special. And we're going to talk about her career, how she got into doing what she's doing, and then all of the special places that her career has also led her. From doing law enforcement trainings at the police academy, to starting an organization called the Love Leads Project, to becoming a show your soft side softie. And we're also going to talk about the breast cancer journey too, and the impact that it's had on both of us, and also the way that our own dogs have have helped us through these journeys. I do just want to mention briefly a little bit of a a trigger warning that throughout our conversation, because April's work involves animal abuse, we do discuss the topic of animal abuse. She does give us sort of the broad strokes of some of the situations that she has encountered, but I don't think it's anything too graphic, but I do want you to know going into this that you're going to be hearing some of that. And also, uh, after about the one hour mark in our conversation, uh, I think we do drop a couple (laughs) F-bombs. So just a little bit uh, not suitable for work listening uh, warning also. So now let's get started. I can't wait for you to hear from the beautiful, brave, badass April Darty. So we are here today with April Darty. Hi, April. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for being here. I have so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so I always start out by asking, were you always an animal person? Did you grow up with dogs or with other animals? Uh, so we definitely grew up with uh, bunny rabbits and cats. A lot of long hair throughout my entire childhood. <laughs> and then... We ended up with a cockatoo named Coco that would chase us and uh, bite our ankles and toes. (laughs) So always an animal lover. Always an animal lover. So when did dogs come into the picture? Dogs came into the picture probably in 2005-ish. We ended up with Clubber. Um, our very first boxer, and he was amazing. He was 104 pounds at his wow. at his peak. That's a big boy. <laughs> he was an amazing dog. And honestly, the rest is history. I did a lot of research when we, you know, got Clubber, and I learned a lot about dogs at that point in time. And then starting, you know, to work in the field and learning about animal abuse and animal cruelty and things like that. Um, so kind of just opening up the door. So I know you, I think, well, primarily from social media and from your professional career. So take us back. So you technically work as a paralegal for the Baltimore County State's Attorney's Office. And I have your official title as paralegal in the Felony Review Unit and lead investigator in the Animal Abuse Unit. (laughs) And you do a lot of other amazing things, too, which I'm also going to get to. But take you back. Did you always want to work in the legal field? Did you always want to work uh, in criminal justice? Um, or, or is that something that just kind of you fell into? Or, or how did that your professional life come about? So for our high school, I actually went to Eastern Tech, and I was in the paralegal studies program. Oh, okay. And my advisor and teacher, who is also now my godmother, um, who's, Laura Homan, is absolutely incredible. And She was an overachiever just like me, and in order to be able to give her students the the best possible education, she actually went to work at a law firm. And so she worked at Gordon Feinblatt um, to obtain some education in order to bring to us. And there was a point in time where we tested, um, and whomever tested the, the highest in the class was able to choose between two positions. And I... I 
you know, my whole entire life, never really left Essex, Dundalk, or Rosedale. And I took the job in Baltimore City and not the job in Essex. And I ventured downtown into the expensive parking garage yeah. and, <laughs> you know, did my work study, uh, went to school for a couple of hours and then finished at the, the law firm downtown. And after graduation, they hired me on. And I just, you know, I loved working in the big law firm setting. I had a ton of mentors there as well. You know, I thought I wanted to be an attorney and then, you know, kind of took that for a little bit of a curve there. <laughs> Uh, yes, I actually also thought I wanted to go to law school, <laughs> got really keyed up that I was going to do it, and then decided it was not worth the time, money, and energy commitment, and that that was not the lifestyle I wanted to live. And that, quite frankly, I think my skill set was actually better for being a paralegal, maybe, than, than being an attorney. But I do enjoy what I do. <laughs> so I, I really felt like a kindred spirit with you that we both had this paralegal kind of <laughs> thing going on. And so how did you end up, was it always your goal to work in like the criminal justice field or uh, how, did, how did you end up doing, working for the state's attorney's office? Because that's a pretty cool, pretty cool gig. It's definitely a dream job. I'm very lucky and grateful. And I have an amazing boss. Um, Scott Schellenberger has been incredibly, incredibly supportive of all of the animal abuse endeavors and journeys that I've embarked upon. Um, so I'm very appreciative for that. I would say I served on the grand jury in 2002, one or 2001 or 2002. And um, I was in the honors program at community college, and I needed to write an extra paper or something along those lines. And at the time, the assistant state's attorney, Dean Stocksdale, had um, I had asked him some questions, you know, he helped me along. And after I finished my term on the grand jury, I sent him my resume and said, I would love to work in this position. I don't know, I guess I've always watched crime, you know, dramas growing up. Matlock was one of my favorite shows. Um, hopefully I'm not aging myself there. <laughs> um, and uh, I just, I, I just loved it, you know, and it took a while for the job to become available. But yeah, so when you were called to serve on the grand jury, that was just kind of that random, you get the notice in the mail kind of thing? Totally random. And, you know, the law firm that I worked at at the time certainly, you know, tried to get me out of it because I worked <laughs> at a law firm, you know, and it, it's a huge requirement because it's Mondays and Wednesdays for three months. Okay. So it certainly took me away from my job duties as a, I was a secretary at the time. So they, you know, needed to work through that particular part of it. And so you served the entire three months? Entire three months. Wow. Loved every moment of it. <laughs> <laughs> and was that for Baltimore County? Yes. Okay. Yep. And so you finally get the call, you get the job. And so what does that look like for you? Like, what is like your day to day kind of look like? So my day-to-day, -day, honestly, is just the defendant gets charged and the case ultimately comes to our office. We read the statement of charges. We put all of the information together, anything that's discoverable, working with the police officers, contacting victims and witnesses if we need to, and just kind of, you know, putting the, the facts of the case together in order to determine if the charges are appropriate or not. And then, honestly, you know, just 
beginning that process for the prosecution of the defendant. So we essentially are reviewing the statutes, determining what charges are applicable in that specific fact scenario. And so you work on cases that are non-animal abuse also, right? Yes, yes, Um, yes. And so anything that would be considered a felony, so that's, you know, murder, assaults, and attempted murder, kind of like the serious Exactly. Series, not the shoplifting or, or whatever. Exactly. At, at the level that you're at now. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I, I think like, I don't know if it's all women, but I know so many women who like totally geek out over like criminal justice and crime shows. And so, you know, it certainly sounds like that would be a really cool job, you know, to, to have. And I have never worked in the criminal side of law. I have only ever worked on the, the civil side. So even to me, I'm kind of like, oh, this is really exciting to learn about. <laughs> it's great because you don't have billable hours. <laughs> that is true. I work uh, on contingent. We work contingency cases. So yeah, I don't have to worry about the billable hours. Because that yeah, that's awful. <laughs> so I am so curious because you have this amazing resume. I have it all written out here in front of me. And so how did you start getting involved in like, was there like one specific case that, you know, of like an animal abuse or cruelty that kind of started you down this path? Or, or how did that sort of specialization come about? So I started, I graduated high school in 2000 and I went to community college. And in 2004 was when I started at state's attorney's office. Um, I went to I transferred my credits from for my associate's degree to um, bachelor's at University of Baltimore, mm-hmm. and my first semester there, I somehow discovered the Animal Legal Defense Fund, and a lot of a lot of schools and colleges had a student Animal Legal Defense Fund chapter. Yeah. Yes. So I had reached out to the Animal Legal Defense Fund to create a chapter at University of Baltimore. And our very first fundraiser was actually for a dog that had been hit by a car, and her name was Love. And we did a bake sale for Love, (laughs) and the rest is honestly history. It just kind of – it gave me a foundation that, you know, in in the beginning, I certainly, you know, went down that rabbit hole. Um, And it it definitely exposed me to that animal abuse is never black or black or white. You know, there's there's a lot of gray areas to it. And a lot of situations, the answer is it depends. So there was one particular case in our office where there were um, some kittens that were purposely um, eaten and attacked by an individual and like a person. So he, it, it was a very unique situation, and we actually lost the case um, because it was 2004. We had the animal cruelty laws that was just a misdemeanor at that point in time, and um, we were not able to prove to the judge, according to the judge, that he intentionally allowed his dogs to mutilate this this litter of kittens. And it was, it was, it was, I, I actually can't even believe I remember the details that I do, but I do. Um, There's always those ones that stick out in your head. Yes, yes. And I, the attorney took me to district court in Catonsville where, you know, she let me help her and we interviewed the witness and we ultimately prosecuted the case together. And that was really just the the door officially opening for me. Nobody in our office really wanted to look at those pictures, you know, because. I can imagine. 
it's, it's traumatic. It's hard. It's yeah. exactly. You know, a lot of people can look at those pictures of um, of people, but to to have an animal harmed is is a different extreme. And I've had officers tell me the same thing. They can handle seeing you know X, Y, and Z, but to see an animal in a bad situation is is incredibly difficult for them. So I guess the rest of is history at that point. It just opened the door up. I I knew the statute. I wanted to do something in the office. At the time, it we had a different state's attorney, elected state's attorney. I had sent an email asking, you know, to specialize in these cases and help with these cases. Um, she sent me to Adam Lippy, who had prosecuted a couple of animal abuse cases at that point in time. We, you know, kind of talked about it, and it just really wasn't the right time. Um, but I had expressed an interest, and our district court division knew that I had that interest. So it was kind of just, you know, when those cases came in, they would hit me up, they would get in touch with me, um, and the attorneys would kind of, you know, ask for my assistance. And I always had that, you know, statute book <laughs> sitting at my desk with the animal from the Animal Legal Defense Fund. So. You know, it just kind of evolved and it got to the point where there were more and more cases and Adam and I began working on more and more cases together. And, you know, we had cases where, and again, it's the same thing. I I use this reference because we had a defense attorney who actually made jokes in the courtroom because the, it was a domestic violence situation and the defendant threw the cat across the room and it hit the wall and broke all four legs. Oh so you have a picture of a cat that has casts on all four legs. And the defense attorney, you know, made the joke that it was just a cat. It was just an animal. So, you know, the learning about the link and seeing the evidence of the co-occurrence of family violence and animal cruelty together. And being able to, to see how these cases have progressed over the years from the first case with the judge where he said, you know, you did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this guy intended to let his dogs mutilate this litter of kittens, you know, to the defense attorney laughing um, and making jokes about the animal, you know, having severe injuries. And now to the fact that we're prosecuting, you know, people for harming animals and being successful in, you know, not only getting, you know, some sort of voice for the animals, but also the most important thing that I say is that there is an order of probation for no contact with animals. Because, you know, we hope that in those situations that that person hears that and does not interact with animals for that particular period of time. Right. And if they do, you can maybe charge them with something. Yeah. So we actually have a case right now where the the person did not adhere to that and we're charging her again with something. So, oh, my gosh, there's so much I want to unpack here. So how... I know there's probably not a good way to like quantify it, but I guess like how prevalent, like what percentage of the cases that you're working on at any given time are animal related, you know, animal abuse related? Right now, um, so since I was diagnosed with breast cancer, the majority of my cases are either murders or animal abuse. So it's either one or the other that I'm working on. We've had an influx of animal abuse, um, neglect, and cruelty, I would say, over the past year. And I'm not certain, you know, if it's because of an influx um, or an increase in those cases or if it's just because of the ability to report it 
you know, in Baltimore County, our officers will respond to those calls and then get animal services involved. And that that's a huge that's a huge difference across the state of Maryland because every animal control may have a different type of reporting requirement response to the the animal neglect or cruelty. It just it depends on where the animal the, um, the animal services or animal control is situated within the the state or the local government. Okay, so it can vary from county to county about how this all yes. kind of plays out. Okay. Yes. So there's neglect and then physical, like, intentional abuse and harming. And, uh, like, what kind, like, do you see a mix of those as one more prevalent than the other? So your animal cruelty is typically your acts of commission, which is oftentimes going to be under our felony statute. Um, your acts of omission are tend to, those tend to be your misdemeanors, and those are under the neglect statutes. So 10604 basically says, you know, those are your failure to provide food, water, shelter, but there's also a pain and suffering component there as well, because we know that it is painful for an animal to be starved to death or for an animal to be that low body condition score. Um, so, um, question's gone. <laughs> Chemo brain's a real thing. <laughs> so, like, what is... Um... Oh, most prevalent. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, or is it a mix? Or, you know. So we do absolutely see a majority of animal neglect cases. And in those situations, you know, we try to be discretionary. We try to, you know, see if there is a situation where they can get some sort of assistance. Um, we refer them to Rescue Well or some other organization that may be able to help in that regard. Um, we certainly don't want to, you know, overwhelm the court system more than it already is. So it's, you know, those egregious ne- neglect cases that we we see certainly more often than the cruelty in Baltimore County. Okay, okay, that was what I was wondering about. And sorry, and you know, I saw something recently. I don't know if it was something that you had shared or if I, it was just something else I saw on social media about. Um, Courses, because I guess you know, because I'm such a like dog centric person, you know, when I hear like animal cruelty or animal, like my um, initial thought is like dogs and cats, sure. Uh, but then I saw something recently about horses, and it was like this big reminder to me of oh, it's not just dogs and cats that we're talking about here, yes. Um, so is that something that you have encountered also, like horse or farm kind of? Animal? We have had a number of horse hate cases, we had a llama case. We had um, the we had a snake case. We've had an alligator. Wow! Are they even allowed to be pets? No, they are not. <laughs> okay. No, they are not. And it was actually great in this particular case. This was actually a Terrence Cody case, the Baltimore Ravens player. Um, the judge had some sort of experience with alligators, and she recognized that the alligator had no ability to get out of the water and she had whatever experience and was able to articulate you know those feelings for the alligator so it was really cool um and i remember going to the rescue 
that actually took the alligator and the alligator was very snobby because he didn't want to eat the mice that had the infused vitamins in it. (laughs) Um, But it was very, very interesting seeing his body condition score develop and seeing how that he was able to evolve. So hopefully he's living out a good life in South Carolina on an alligator farm. Yeah, on the Everglades or yeah, whatever, wherever you put them. So when we talk body condition score, this makes me think of like when you're at the vet Mm -hmm. and they have that chart. And I guess most of the time at the vet, they're probably seeing the ones that are a little on the chubbier side. But you're talking about the ones that are like the super underweight, like skin and bones kind of Exactly. Yes. So the Purina body condition score um, is typically the, the chart that's used the most. There is another one. And I don't like that one because it goes the other direction. So the Purina body condition score chart is basically from one to three too thin so seeing some ribs seeing those hip bones things like that Um, and then you get to your four to five which is you know looking a little perfect you know a little extra fluff you know and then you get to anything above that that six to nine mark that's when you're looking at some of those um some of those extra fluffy issues the metabolic disorders and things like that okay so i i keep this is like the main question i keep wanting to ask you is just like like, does this take an emotional toll? Like, how hard is this, you know, to to see? And, and how do you take care of yourself? So I think anybody that knows me knows that I have advocated for self-care for a really long time. Um, it's very important to me. I work out. I exercise. Um, I I, I do a lot of things in order to take care of myself. I've been in counseling my whole life. I go to a counselor. I cannot talk about animal abuse with my counselor, though. <laughs> She's a huge animal lover, and, you know, she that's that's her tough spot. So interestingly enough, I would say I'm a, I, I compartmentalize very well. Um, I think when you work in the criminal fear, field, you you tend to make like those dark jokes, yeah. you know, to kind of oh, like yeah. get you through those situations. Yeah. My dad is a retired Baltimore City police. Yes. So my whole like formative personality <laughs> was cop, inappropriate cop humor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I'm certainly known at Grand Jury for, you know, engaging the officers to talk about squatty potties and, <laughs> and make them laugh. So, you know, I'm always good for the, the humor side of things. Um, and laughing is just important, you know. I would say I've noticed that um, throughout my breast cancer journey, it's been more difficult dealing with the animal side of things just because I'm already um, struggling with that part of things. Yeah, you already have a lot of your emotional bandwidth exactly. consumed. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, I, I have to kind of step back. Um, I've actually started meditating a lot more, which seems to be really helpful. Do you do a specific type of meditation? I don't. Um, I just turn on the insight timer and whatever, you know, guided meditation sort of speaks to me. I actually learned transcendental meditation after my breast cancer journey. And okay. it has been a big part of my last couple of years. Of okay. Recovering. Yeah. Huh. I'll have to look into that. I honestly, I've been going to a sauna. And I just turn on, which is interesting because I felt like I needed the words in the guided meditation. But when I go to the sauna, I actually can go to that good space and see my the the light from my third eye. And I can do that with just music. Oh, um, so I'm proud of myself that I've kind of evolved to that point um, in, in developing that. But yeah, I just, 
I, I mean, I still feel like I compartmentalize it all, but also knowing that in a lot of those situations, you know, being able to give that animal a voice is very important to me. You know, not every single case has a good outcome, but there's definitely a lot of cases that have those good outcomes, and I certainly live and breathe by those cases. So what percentage of the cases do you actually go to trial? Do most of them take a plea deal? How does that usually work? So right now with COVID, I, uh, of course, yeah, COVID yeah, has everything COVID's crazy with got everything. trials being suspended. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's there's probably more pleas right now than normal just because the the cases are kind of sitting. Mm-hmm. I I honestly don't even know the statistics of what cases go to trial versus plea out. Um, I guess I would say that uh, more cases plea out than than you would think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so is it usually uh, jail time or probation or is there like any commonality or? It depends. It all depends. Um, It depends, you know, the the, what the prosecutor sees in the particular situation. It depends on the judge. It depends on, you know, if there is a a situation where uh, somebody comes into the to the courtroom to advocate for the animal or the situation. I know we had a case a long time ago where a German shepherd was stabbed in the head. Oh and um, in, in that case, we had witnesses that came for every single trial date, you know, and I mean, it got postponed a number of times and every single time those people came. And that was one of those cases where, you know, there was definitely a good outcome for that. A good outcome, like, uh, from your perspective. <laughs> yes. Yes. Obviously. Yes. That that dog got the, a voice. I got justice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is just like, you know, sometimes in some ways the criminal justice system can be very flawed and, and while justice may be what the, the goal is, do, do you feel like that is, is what happens in the cases that you're working on? I think so. Yeah. I, I think that I think that there's a lot of situations where people may see the outcome and be disappointed in it, but from being in this for so long and seeing where we were to where we are now, I think that that you know, I think that when when I hear that there's a probation of no contact with animals, I hold on to that hope that that person is not going to interact with animals and harm another animal again. Perhaps that's me being naive and, you know, wanting to to hold that on, you know, in my heart. Um, but I think that I, I don't know that we have had a repeat offender for animal cruelty that I can remember. Okay, that was going to be one of my That I can remember. Um, for neglect, yes, we've definitely had repeat offenders there. And interestingly enough, I just had a case, a couple of cases that I've looked into. So when I talk about the link, I'm talking about that co-occurrence, the, the crimes that occur, uh, that the, there's this tendency, and there is some data out there, and the FBI also records that data in reference to animal abuse and neglect and cruelty, that there is a um, inclination for us to look at these situations and see that because we know of the serial killers from back in the day right. that that self-reported that they harmed animals, animals and then became serial killers, 
there there are a lot of people that think, oh, if you abuse an animal, you're going to become a serial killer. Not necessarily. Exactly. But <laughs> not necessarily. Um, so there are, are certainly situations where, you know, the FBI has looked into school shooters and found that there is that correlation of harming animals and going to commit those mass crimes. Wow. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky spot, right? Because we don't want that to be what we're putting out there. And it's not. But... For our domestic violence situations, yeah. 100%, there is that correlation between that, those. Yeah. Yes, we see a lot of that. And, you know, I have my I have my little stack of animal abuse cases, but then our domestic violence unit also gets those cases. Okay. And then they ultimately get in touch with me, and we work together, and they charged our domestic violence part of it, and I add the animal abuse component to that okay. so that you see that directly there. Okay, because that's what I was was going to ask, I guess, is I don't know that it matters, but I guess uh, to me it's two separate things, right, of like like somebody who's like maybe like has a mental illness situation that's purposely being cruel to an animal versus a domestic violence situation. And I guess to me those are slightly different um uh, occurrences or you know um, and so yeah I was going to ask uh, yeah what you see about the yeah the co-occurrence of domestic violence situations and is that like uh, when you're looking at like an, an actual abuse situation is it primarily like because from a domestic situation or is it more from like a this person is like deranged it might be a serial kind of situation <laughs> it depends yeah. <laughs> it depends um, so I would say that um, for some situations, you know, we have certainly, and, and that's where I was, I was kind of going, you know, I looked into a particular suspect who had been charged with animal abuse back in 2013. And now that defendant has come through multiple times and he, not even just in our office, but was charged with domestic violence and now is you know, currently being charged with domestic violence again. So it's an it's an interesting trend on some of those situations where you can see that correlation and how it it could potentially escalate. And for those situations that you referenced in in regards to mental health issues, I find that in those situations there is that um, there's that need for a psychological evaluation. And when we charge the felonies, we are certainly able to to request that that happen okay. in those situations. Um, so we had a case once where the defendant actually had uh, had shot the dog because the dog belonged to a ex-boyfriend of the mom. And in that particular the case, the psychiatric evaluation was very interesting. And there had been a prior DV history in this kid's family, um, drug addiction, you know, all of these things that ultimately ended up with him, at, you know, going down that wrong path. Right. So it's, it's interesting when you kind of look at those things. And, you know, there's certainly more empirical data regarding the correlation between those crimes. Yeah. And, you know, and you were mentioning just the trend of it sort of being taken more seriously now. And I, I do feel like over the last 20, 25 years, like we are finally kind of getting to this point where you don't have the defense attorney making the like snide comment in court of like, oh, it's just a cat or something that I, I do feel like we're finally maybe a little late to the party, but, you know, moving in the direction of 
crimes against animals being taken more seriously by all parties and all members of the criminal justice system. So is that something that you feel like you've seen like throughout your career? Absolutely. I think that, you know, the educational component and the awareness with uh, a number of different organizations that have, you know, put the effort out there, like Show Your Soft Side, um, their their tagline was only a punk would hurt a cat or a dog. So, you know, putting 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 things like that out to the to the media and to the to the world has created a voice for, you know, that animal cruelty is not cool and harming an animal is not okay. And then there are a number of campaigns that advocate that, you know, co-occurrence um, and the the interpersonal violence. And I think that that's really important because, you know, I always teach law enforcement to use animals as a tool in their investigation. Because while we love animals and the typical American family considers animals as part of their family, they are still considered property. Right. So, you know, that 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 officer um, that may not be an animal lover, um, I always urge them and remind them that I'm not asking them to be an animal lover, but I'm asking them that that typical family, when you're responding to a call of family violence, considers their pet as part of the family. And that victim, a pet, can also have injuries to it. So that's the importance of it. And that's the my three C's are communication, collaboration, and cooperation. And that's literally my thesis um, <laughs> as well. Um, getting all of these agencies to work together because it's not just one, it's not just law enforcement. It's law enforcement, animal control, veterinarians, prosecutors. All of us have to work together. Judges, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, in, throughout, the, throughout the country, there's always uh, one of those agencies that is the struggle. Um, there, there's, there's some spot that might be your weakest link in those, in those um, three Cs. So. so that brings me to the rest of your, <laughs> your bio and your, um, your resume here. So I have that you conduct trainings for local and state law enforcement about animal abuse that you're a law enforcement trainer for the Humane Society of the United States, presenting to animal control, law enforcement, and prosecutors around the country. You are co-chair of the National Coalition on Violence Against Animals. You work with the National Sheriff's Association on the Domestic Violence and Animal Cruelty Committees. You work with the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys on the Animal Cruelty Advisory Committee. You are president of the Maryland Animal Cruelty and Animal Fighting Task Force. And I wanted to ask you all about this and how all of this has developed and about your trainings and relationships. And you're, you're mentioning it uh, exactly you know, what I was thinking of. is like there's all these different parts. There's, you know, there's law enforcement. There's prosecutors. There's animal control. And, and how all this works together. And, are, and it seems like you're really trying – you've really created like a niche for yourself of like trying to bring everybody together. And, and that's, first of all, just amazing. And, you. you know, so just admirable and so important and, and really shows that you've, you see the whole big landscape and, and you're trying to work with it. And uh, that's just so impressive. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm also an overachieving nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, so am I. And I think that's just why I like you so much. <laughs> So how did all of this come about with um, 
I assume like this has all kind of evolved over time. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did this all kind of come about with working with law enforcement? And do you know even what happened first or? I don't even know if I know. I (laughs) think probably I just don't say no very often. And I I mean, you know, (laughs) but I, so I guess I'm thinking, you know, you're working in the prosecutor's office. So somebody gets arrested, they get arrested by the police. You get the charges and are you seeing that, oh, uh, animal abuse or neglect cases aren't being charged enough? We need to let, you know, police know to do this more or they aren't collecting like the right evidence and we need to give them like a more of a primer on like what to look for so that we can prosecute the case to the fullest extent. Or are, are, I'm just trying to guess, are these different like trends that you were seeing? or Probably all of that, I would say. And I guess... I'm trying to think like what my first little niche was in there where, so I know that when our unit first started, I received a scholarship from the association. uh, No, I went to the Association of Prosecuting Attorneys Conference and I received a scholarship. Unfortunately, I don't remember who that scholarship was from. Um, So I went to that conference and um, I had a couple of people who told me to put myself in front of, you know, a a certain number of people. And I'm a people person. I love, I love talking to people. So I did that and I loved it. And then our animal abuse leadership summit that we do um, each year at the Hillendale Country Club, you know, just connecting people and offering that bit of education. So back then there was a gap in the education component. You know, we had these statutes, but officers would go through the academy and not even hear the word animal except for dog bites and attacks. So it kind of evolved into, you know, me going to the academy and teaching, you know, at the academy, which I fell in love with. I love teaching. So you actually teach at the police academy? Yeah, at the Baltimore County Police Academy. Yep. Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I love it. So, and actually, we—they just recorded me earlier this year. So, this is the first year that animal abuse is being included in in-service training, just because in Baltimore County, our officers are the first ones that are responding. I say our officers because I work within right, Baltimore right, County, right, <laughs> but the Baltimore County officers respond to the calls for animal neglect and cruelty. And then they determine, you know, when animal control responds to it, if it can wait, or if they need to respond immediately and back up police to that particular call. And then interestingly enough, you had mentioned about charging. So we, Adam has kind of created this trend slash policy that most animal abuse cases are not being charged um, at, at, at the initiation, um, at the initiation of the call or at the initial contact of the call. So what we do in Baltimore County is we get all of the information together. So all of those agencies, we're, we're ensuring that they work together. So we work very closely with our animal services officers. Um, we get all of the reports from the veterinarians. We're working with local law enforcement. We're putting all those pieces of the puzzle together and then reviewing it with the prosecutor to determine charging and initiating that charge document. 
So the 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 difference there would be your crimes of commission. So if they're arresting somebody on the spot, then they're going to the commissioner and initiating them charges those those charges themselves, and um and then letting me know. So our office has an amazing amazing communication where any animal abuse cases now I they, it immediately comes to me. So I'm the it, I get it. I, it gets assigned to me right away. <laughs> <laughs> it's really impressive what you've built. And Thank you. <laughs> like, I hope you know that. <laughs> I just, I enjoy doing, I really truly do. I'm, I, I know that I have my dream job. You know, I've been, this is my 18th year at wow. the state, at the state attorney, state <laughs> brain. <laughs> I've been, I've actually worked in my, this field, the field that I work in for since 2004 so yeah for, for 18 years um can i just say that there is a pajama covered dog laying right beneath my feet that's my penny she's always by my side during my interviews she is just she's truly my bff how many cases do you think you're usually working on at one t- given time? It depends. Yeah. It, it's it's hit or miss. I th- I actually just had a quite a few cases that I had to work on, and they're more time consuming because we initiate the charging. Um, so you know, if it's if it's felony, you have to write up a statement of facts in order to present that to the judge. So you know, those are those are always um, more time consuming to charge. So I know you as kind of like a pit bull person because of course I'm a pit bull person <laughs> and of course anytime you have pit bulls people think of dog fighting is that something that you've ever encountered in your career so yes um yeah a lot oh really a lot um a lot of people have that you know have created that association with pit bull type dogs as being dog fighting dogs and, you know, there are, for dog fighters, there are certainly, you know, uh, a specific type of conditioning and, and body structure that they're looking for for a dog fighting dog. So, you know, those, those bullies are not dog fighting dogs because they can barely make it around the block. They're not <laughs> going to last in a, in a ring for an extended period of time. Um, <laughs> plus, they're lovers, not fighters. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... I do feel like we've come so far and, and again, this weird messed up way, partially because of Michael, the whole Michael Vick thing, which I hate even saying his name, but sometimes I'm just like that NFL guy that had the dog fighting situation. But, you know, at least it sort of helped people understand that the dogs are the victims in this too, and not like the aggressors <laughs> and, and has kind of helped change like sort of the, cultural zeitgeist around pit bulls over the last you know 15 years or so but i guess i i never know obviously because i'm like not involved in it like how common it is or is it you know is it something that's really happening like under our backyard it 100 percent is yes it's absolutely still happening um and it's absolutely still being prosecuted i know there's a lot of it in baltimore city um, and I know that there's a lot of carryover uh, as well. So, you know, constantly keeping your eyes open for that. And again, working and collaborating with agencies throughout the state and even in other states. Um, you, just 
knowing that there's always something in the works. It's organized crime, you know? Um, And when you're investigating dogfighting, you're, you know, you're going to come across drugs. I like to say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. (laughs) And gambling. (laughs) Gambling, yes. The whole thing. You're going to get guns, you know, in those situations. There Again, it's that co-occurrence. And so... So it's primarily like an, more of like the organized crime end of things like that. Because I guess, I don't know, there's sort of like, I don't know, in my mind, is like backyard people that don't know what they're doing. And and then there's like this very highly organized, yep. you know, circuit type thing of, of it. Um, just, you know, based on my... Street fighters, organized right. dog fighters. Yep. Right. Yep. And it's more the organized, you're saying. Uh, or again, it depends. It depends. Prosecute or catch, I guess. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I don't, I haven't had that many, uh, instances. We've had a couple throughout the years. We work very closely with, uh, the Humane Society of the United States Mm -hmm. oftentimes on those because they have a lot of information throughout the country in that regard. And Obviously, I'm also just being very precautious in what I'm saying, too. <laughs> oh, no, I totally understand. <laughs> well, I guess there's been there's like been a couple high profile incidents around the country, but then you don't hear about it a whole lot. So I guess I was just trying to my, my main point was just like it does still go on even it, if we're not hearing about 100%, it. A hundred percent. It is still happening. Yes. Yes. Um, it's it's difficult to get. It's difficult to catch a dogfight in progress. Like I know Nikki Kaferi in um, the – she just retired from the Queens County uh, District Attorney's Office. She presented an amazing case where she had found someone who was breeding the dogs and was able to prosecute in that regard. And it's it's just it's, – it's a very time-consuming prosecution for, for any of those types of investigations and prosecutions. <sighs> <laughs> like it just kills me that that's a thing like it just it just kills me so there's a book uh the book is by hal herzog and it's called some we love it, it's like some we love some we eat um and some we something else um and it's an interesting book that goes into like not only just eating the you know eating animals consuming animals but also like cockfighting how 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 those birds are inherent their their behavior their natural behavior is to fight each other but the problem that we get into that philosophical side when they're putting the knives and the gaffs on them um, and creating like that gambling component, the 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 organized fight component. And then you go to dogfighting where you're those, you know, they're they're breeding those dogs to to be a certain way. But, you know, it, it, they have to literally bump those dogs together to see if they have the if they have the gameness the inclination, mm-hmm, right. to to fight. Um, so there's 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 that you know the moral component there that is 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 it's incredibly interesting when you dig into it and it's certainly one of those rabbit holes you can go down to. So I actually you mentioned cockfighting. There actually was a situation of that relatively recently, like within the past year, right? Mm-hmm. Was that yep. Hartford or Baltimore County? Uh, Hartford. Hartford County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, I was utterly shocked. <laughs> I mean, I was utterly shocked that that would be happening in the county where I live. I mean, just completely and utterly shocked that. That that could happen. But I mean, just like any crime, crime happens everywhere. Yeah. You know, everywhere. 
you're like if you, if you move to a particular area and think that crime's not around you, it's just because you're not seeing it necessarily. It's just a little better hidden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I mean, you know, that's the same for dog fighting. It's it's in basements. It's not. It's in warehouses. You know, like it it's hidden. Right. It's it's hidden. So. We touched really briefly just on the law enforcement training um, side of things. So do you do a lot of that? What does that look like? Are there like, is it like certain conferences? Do you, I know you specifically work with like Baltimore County Police, but I know it looks like you work with some other organizations around the country. Like, is this something like you get, you travel around to different places to do and... Uh, yes, when there is not a pandemic and right, COVID. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, traveling around the country, I absolutely love traveling. Um, I've I've enjoyed traveling since I turned pretty much, you know, 1920. Um, going to different places and seeing, you know, how different agencies do things and, you know, just observing different practices. You know, going to all of these different states and seeing the gaps um, has basically put me into this spot where I am that I have really, really desired to to share this love and education throughout the country. And I, I even thanks to um, Lainey Charter from Canada, she coordinated a trip with Show Yourself Side for me to go and deliver love leads to the Grand Bahamas. Which was actually really cool because I got to speak to their law enforcement and think about it, right? You like you have to you have to think about how different things are in areas where you know if 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 a family can barely afford to put food in their mouth, you know, like there's there's different there's different um, there's different protocols. And different things where you want to make sure that you're you're providing those resources for the entire family. So it's it's really cool being able to see those those different areas. And you know, cruelty is it's throughout the entire entire world. You know, um, it's really cool because the IVFSA is the International Veterinary Forensic Association or something like that. And meeting veterinarians that are in you know. Uh, Korea and Japan and um, Taiwan and and seeing the things that they are doing in those areas is incredible. I follow a number of veterinarians on my Instagram and they post and they will talk about some of the things that they're doing with their veterinary forensics and seeing how that has evolved over the years is incredible. And that that only assists the prosecution of these cases. So do you find that law enforcement are receptive and open to learning what you have to share for the most part yes um and i think that again is the how how we've kind of evolved over the years i think that you know there in in some areas there are still those who believe that it's an animal related matter and it should be investigated and handled by animal control or quote the dog catchers that antiquated verbiage you know that that descriptive word that um that Animal control is is law enforcement too. You know, We're, they're they're out there. They're um, instituting the laws and you know trying to 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 help the public. So I, I guess law enforcement doesn't necessarily always have the reputation for being like the most uh, you know 
open to change or, you know, open to doing things in a different way. So that's why I was curious. And I say that coming from a family of law enforcement. <laughs> I think, you know, just being compassionate, you know, I, I, one of the things that I tell um, the officers is I will never, ever tell you not to shoot a dog because I am not a police officer. I have put, never put my feet in your shoes to know that particular situation, but I will give them tools and resources to educate them and help them to understand some behavioral language. And, you know, we give out those love leads to assist in that regard as well. And, you know, there's there's an officer that comes to my mind, particularly who has adopted two dogs from situations where he responded. Oh, wow. And, it, you know, every single 911 call is for a pit bull type dog that is aggressive, right? And the officers get out there and they get those dogs on their love leads. And they are so incredibly proud and they send me the pictures. And I <laughs> love that I get to share that with the world. Um, not only because that is, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a positive light, but it's a love share, you know. But this particular officer had two situations. Um, the one, he, he had actually gotten his shotgun out of the car, you know, responded. And then he, he recognized that the dog, you know, was scared. And he, you know, did his little crouch down. He had his love lead, put her on the lead and took her home. And she gets a happily ever after. <laughs> so it's always cool when you get to see, you know, those particular situations. And the officers that. really enjoy it, you know, when they when you, they get their love lead share on social media. <laughs> so tell us about Love Leads. That's actually an organization that you co-founded. So the Love Leads Project was founded by Adam Lippy and myself, and we coordinated with um, Show Your Soft Side, Earth Treks, which has just changed its name to, I believe it's the Movement, and the Petty R. So essentially, we're, we're com again, combining all those agencies to work together. Um, we're using recycled climbing gear, um, climbing rope, and connectors to basically put together a leash that can fit, you know, a horse, a pig. And we've heard all kinds of stories of what the, the love leads have been used on. I'm thinking like a slip lead kind of stuff. Exactly. Right? Yes, exactly. Um, so it, it can fit basically any type of animal that, that the way that Adam has created and structured the the design is it has a handle and then that slip lead so that the animal doesn't need a leash okay. or a collar when the officers are you right. know putting it on them so we've officially distributed 10,000 wow. throughout the world because we have taken them to Grand Bahamas as well as Canada um, I don't think there's anything else anywhere else in uh, actually Adam did take some to Slovenia oh. um, so it's it, it, they've they've been to a number of Worldwide, places yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing but it's also cool because, you know, it puts that trigger into the back of the officer's heads, right? When they're responding to those calls, again, for family violence, they have that love lead in their car. And it's it's a trigger to, to consider that pet as part of their family. But it's also a tool and a resource. You know, we've had incidents where the officers have responded to a fire and the dog, you know, had to get out of the house and needed a leash. So the lovely comes to save the day. Um, so it's a really, really cool program. Um, and I love that, you know, it's it's a love share throughout the throughout the world. That's so amazing. I, I love that you're doing that. <laughs> well, that is a huge, huge team effort. That is not a you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just like even the little bit of like the double meaning into mm -hmm. leads, you know, and, and just uh, 
to putting that out there. <laughs> so that is all Sandy, Sandy Rizet, uh from Show Your Soft Side. <laughs> yeah, she's incredible with that, the marketing verbiage that she comes up with. And I remember when she created that logo and it was just like, oh, it was perfect. <laughs> it is. It is perfect. So talk to us about Show Your Soft Side. I know you've been a softie. <laughs> So becoming a softie was one of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> and now I, I use that picture in my presentations. and I'm like, wow, I had such gorgeous hair back then. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> um, so it was it was awesome and incredible when Adam and I were able to 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 be photographed to become softies. Oh, so Adam is too. And he's one of the attorneys you work. With. Yes, yes, yes. So Adam is our chief of our animal abuse unit at the Baltimore County State's Attorney's Office. He tends to prosecute the majority of the felony cases. And then we have an assortment of district court attorneys that will handle the the misdemeanor cases. So he he's a softie as well. And he his picture is with his dog Skeeter. Um, And I only had Orbit at the time. And Orbit was a pill. So Orbit sings and he has that pipple vocalization. (laughs) So he sings and he sounds like incredibly aggressive and mean. But it's 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 like a seal you know so um it we we actually had to photograph our pictures separate because of orbit being such a wild child my little my little singing boy <laughs> but yeah the the show yourself side campaign is incredible i love working with show yourself side i can't wait for project runway to come up again um it's definitely my favorite event because i don't wear dresses for just anybody <laughs> i hear you <laughs> So one of the other things that I have learned from your social media is you is do you volunteer with the Grandview Farm? Um, so I'm actually an employee. Are oh, you an employee now? Okay. And I don't have a title yet. We're still working on that. <laughs> so I see. So you are always posting like these videos on social media of you with like cows and pigs and other animals uh, at, at this farm. And I know that you said that's kind of like your happy place. Um, so what, uh, how did you get involved with, with this farm? That's so cool. So I took the National Animal Cruelty Investigator courses through University of Missouri. Um, they have three levels and the the second level is the advanced investigator and it goes through and it go um talks about all the farm animals because you know throughout the throughout the country there are different definitions of animal in maryland our definition of animal is all-encompassing so you know we can charge agricultural animals in regards to animal cruelty if there is something in that regard so obviously, I don't have hands on with those types of animals. You know, I assisted another, uh, uh, the Virginia Animal Fighting Task Force with a cockfighting case. And that was my first time, you know, dealing with birds. So I knew that I needed to do something. And I became, so I was a vegetarian. And in 2012, I became a meat eater. And one of the personal trainers that I had worked with told me about Grandview Farm. Was that like for health purposes you felt like you needed to? Yes. Um, I wasn't able to gain enough strength. I had high cholesterol, which oddly enough, my cholesterol flip-flopped once I started eating meat, um, which is very interesting. So it just, you know, that's that individualization. You know, every person is different. Different, So I went to Grandview Farm and started, you know, supporting local, going to the farmer's markets and things like that. And I loved it. You know, there were always dogs running around and and greeting you. Um, They had barn cats and things like that. 
And, you know, throughout the years, I had texted Nick and said, you know, hey, you know, when I finish my master's, can I start, you know, volunteering there just to get hands on? And he was like, absolutely. And then the pandemic hit and I was struggling. I needed that nature component. So September 2020, I started um, just either working before work or after work on the weekends, things like that, getting my hands on with the pigs and stuff like that. And the rest is history. I didn't realize that I would fall in love the way that I have. And I, I love being a farm girl, even in the winter with my full Carhartt, you know, overalls. <laughs> it's cold as crap playing in water. But, you know, it's a regenerative agricultural farm, which is really important to me because, you know, it's it's giving back to the to the earth, to the soil, um, being grateful for those animals, appreciating them, giving them gratitude and treating them well. I could never work on a farm, you know, where the animals are are, are not being treated properly, right. um, not getting their, you know, proper sustenance. And, um, you know, it, Mr. Will is an incredible mentor. I'm. I'm so grateful for all the time that I get to spend with him and learn from him. And then Nick, you know, is is incredible as well. He's created such a, a wonderful, wonderful, um, not only the atmosphere of the farm, but also the, the marketing and the farm store and all of the products. You know, supporting local is something that's near and dear to my heart. Yes. So, you know, being a part of the Grandview team has become very important in my life. I never realized I would be a farm girl. <laughs> well, you know, it was so striking to me when I saw that you were posting there because that's primarily where my husband and I get our meat from. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you. And, uh, so the farm is actually kind of right around the corner from where I grew up yes. and where my parents live. But I guess probably 10 or 10 or more years ago now, 2010 around there is I guess when my husband and I first started really paying attention to our food and health mm -hmm. and I had had some weird health issues and you know what are we ingesting mm -hmm. and what is being done to this and and you know we didn't want to support like factory farming and and so we you know we got really intentional about you know buying local but you know visiting the being able to visit the place where your food is coming from and we're so disconnected from that when we just go to the grocery store and so, yes and so yeah, we're, we feel so fortunate living in Hartford County that we have so many options for being able to get things. But yeah, Grandview has always been like our primary place. And then I'm like, oh, that's that. where, you know, that's, that's so where, cool. Like, we went, we, before we ever, like we went out there and we had like a tour of the farm and, you know, and I'm like, and they deliver. I mean, it's so amazing. Like we just have to put like a cooler out and they deliver. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like I couldn't ask for anything better, you know? So yeah, it was like, it was so striking to me when I realized like, oh, that's where she's spending time. Like, that's so awesome. That's, that's our jam. Like, that's our place. It has truly been an incredible treasure. Um, you know, I, I love every moment in it. You know, Mr. Will always makes fun of me because I'm completely covered in mud and poop most of the time. <laughs> and he's like, how do you get so dirty? And it's just like, you know, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> there really is something with you know, the earth and the dirt mm. being back to nature. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm not the world's like most super outdoorsy person, but like it does make a um, an impact on me when I do get get out. And you know, so I've tried to make an effort to make that more of my life you know but think about you know the analogy um and i i just actually put this together with my healing touch nurse uh, a couple weeks ago um i've said regenerate me a number of times throughout my my cancer treatment 
um, because of that regenerative agricultural component, you know, when you first dig into, you know, breast cancer research, it says, get rid of meat, no eat meat, right. don't do, da, 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 don't eat, the, you know, all these things you shouldn't do. But it's, it's so subjective, because we're so individualized. And, you know, they, they told me that I wouldn't be able to eat, you know, ground beef or, or red meat or anything like that while being on chemo. And it, it Honestly, like for me, it's like, tell me I can't do something and I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. Um, so I became anemic when I was on chemo and um, Mr. Will was like, oh, I'll cook you a steak. And I'm like, all right, well, let's try ground beef first. And, you know, I, 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 I really attribute my success in chemo to, you know, being able to take care of myself in a lot of, yeah. you know, natural ways. ways. Yeah. Yes, yes. So breast cancer. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I don't actually think I have talked about on my podcast a whole <gasps> lot that I had breast cancer. Um, I was diagnosed in 2018. I officially became a breast cancer survivor in June of 2019, the same week that I turned 40. And that was actually around the same time I first got the idea for doing the podcast. And honestly, it was still all a little too fresh for me to talk about when I started the podcast. So in my very first episode of the podcast, I never even mentioned it. And I've maybe alluded to it a couple times over the course of the 40-some episodes or however 30, 40-some that we're into now. Because honestly, it was just really hard for me to talk Mm -hmm. about. And like not a lot of people knew that I went through it when I did. I never posted about it on social media. I just had kind of a small group. I created like a secret group mm-hmm. and had a couple of people, you know, that, that are close to me that I was sharing with them. And like, you went like totally the other way. And like, <laughs> I admire, like, I admire you so incredibly much. Like, thank you. You have been so open and public about your journey and about all the emotions on the roller coaster of emotions that it is. And honestly, and I, I think I've shared this with you, you know, before, just that, like, you've helped me, like, you've helped me process it, because sometimes I get so flooded with stuff that I don't even know how to say, how to, like, get out of my mouth that, like, that's what I was feeling, or that's what I was feeling. And so I just kind of don't say anything. <laughs> um, and so... Yeah, you, I mean, you have just been like such a shining light. And I know that this horrible thing happened to you because it's like the worst horrible thing in the world. But like, while, you know, I at least hope that you feel like you've made the best of it or you know, <laughs> that you're doing so much good with it for, for so many other people in, in what you shared. So do you want to talk? A, and also, I'm just, you know, with me, the my dogs, especially Penny in her pajamas over there, um, was so vital to me getting through my journey mm-hmm. and you know I don't know what it was like for you and because you've been you've been more open about it but like for me I it was hard for me to even talk about with my family we lost my husband's mom to breast cancer so he was just looking at me like oh my god am I gonna lose mm-hmm. you you know and so I I almost didn't want to say what I was feeling because like I, I you know this is my damage or whatever it's like i don't want to dump my stuff on other people because i know that they're dealing with their own stuff and so i kept a lot of it to myself and that was really hard sometimes or i felt like oh i can't say this to this person i can't say that to that person they don't want to hear about like how horrible this is so i'm just not gonna say but like at least with the dogs it's like there's no pressure like they don't expect you to like be any certain way or say any certain thing or do any certain thing you know and so penny and i would just jump in the car and car rides are her favorite thing in the whole world and i was going through chemo and everything over the summer and you know it's like we just jump in the car head out the window (laughs) 
jamming like Soundgarden or like Dr. Dre or something from the 90s, you know, some kind of 90s like rock or hip hop, you know, that I can listen to the same song over and over again and nobody's going to yell at me because you know, he doesn't care. And, you know, just like that was just like a place where I could just be, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just like her and I and maybe we'd go walk somewhere or just, you know, that that really was like kind of what got me through. And so do you want to talk a little about your experiences and just I thank you so much for for sharing with us no thank you um and for the record um Aaron actually had reached out to me before I even received my diagnosis and provided me with a lot of resources and information and you shared your vulnerability with me specifically so I I am incredibly indebted to you And I would also say that um, your moments, so think about those moments with Penny, live like a dog. And, you know, my acupuncturist and my counselor have both given me that life motto that because that is relative to my journey, you know, being present, being in the moment and living like a dog and marinating in those moments with your head hanging out the window and (laughs) jamming out, you know, like that, I think that's really important. Um, And a lot of people have said to me, you know, that the work that I put in for self care over the years had prepared me for this shitty, awful journey. And I would say that, um, I'm all about breaking outside of boxes. And my acupuncturist, Dr. Han, talks a lot about those cultural boxes. And I think, you know, cultural boxes, like, it's it's our breast. Like, it, it, it's it's female. Like, you know, I'm my my immediate inclination was to be ashamed of this you know like these aren't these are my boobs like like this isn't this isn't public um that's why it was really just hard for me to talk about yes yes i feel like i I felt like i did something wrong Mm, mm, yeah no i agree here i am trying to like eat organic and do all this stuff girl yes you're even like (laughs) you're like super healthy workout person you know and it's like i thought i was doing all the right things we have a water filter in there you know Well, and I mean, that's, that's the motto of um, barbells for boobs is breast cancer doesn't discriminate. And unfortunately, it is more and more common for women under 40 to be diagnosed with breast cancer, right? And and what is that? We're, we're right under the, the, the realm of getting mammograms. So if you're, I had never had one until I found the lump. Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta feel yourself up, you know, make sure that you know your body inside and out, because believe me, that could have been far worse for me if I had not found it when I did, you know, and, and I think for me, the reason why I shared it the way that I did is because I had such a poor experience with that first doctor who scanned my armpit multiple times, didn't communicate with me. And then when I started crying, had no empathy whatsoever and asked me why I'm crying when she told me she had to send me for a biopsy. Like, bitch, you just scanned my armpit. I know, I know that you know, you know, um, so really taking charge of that moment and, and advocating, advocating for yourself, for yourself. is yeah. so incredibly important. Um, and I, every single one of my boob sisters in Barbells for Boobs, you know, I, I remind them of that. Like if something's going on, ask, 
you know, speak up because we're not we're not fitting into that 60 something year old, you know, typical. Exactly. Exactly. We we're individual. So treat us like an individual. You know, we're not just the statistic because we're not going to fit into all of your research, you know. And unfortunately, I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which is not very well researched. Um, There's 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 evolving treatment plans for it. But, you know, I, I, I I'm in grad school. I, I I didn't go to Google. I went to research and, right. and you know, I, I thought I went into my meeting with my breast surgeon, you know, all informed and he said, You have triple negative breast cancer and I said, What the what? fuck is that? Right. <laughs> so um what I so I had triple positive okay. breast cancer. And so what I learned about that is with the HER two mm-hmm. protein, that makes it very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And very fortunately, there are drugs now that shut it down very (laughs) effectively. But those drugs have only been here since 2007. So if I had been diagnosed with this before 2007, there really wouldn't have been much that they could have done for me. And like, it is not lost on me how fucking fortunate I am that I am here and that they, my doctor was almost like relieved that I had that because she's like, I know we can shut this down. That's awesome. Like great statistics for you, you know? Yeah. And like not everybody has that. And like I said, it's not fucking lost on me how how fortunate I am. Good. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> no, me too. <laughs> I got a lot. I, I, I can very vividly remember sitting in the surgeon's office. My mom's there. Tim is there. I think it was when I was having the bi- either the biopsy or maybe like the first appointment after you get the diagnosis. And I kind of remember being like, I don't have time for this. I got shit to do. And I remember my mom going, what do you have to do? And I'm like, I got shit I got to do with my Mm -hmm. life. Like Mm -hmm. this, no, no, no. Like this, no, you know? And, and like, I, I got shit to do. Oh, it, it throws, it's like, uh, what is that show? Um, I don't remember what it was called, but it was where you get the, the double whammy. No whammy, no whammy, no whammy. Yes. (laughs) Like, press your luck. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But seriously, like, I remember sitting in my oncologist's office when I first met her, and she's like, well, what do you do? And just like your list, well, I'm in grad school, I work on a farm, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, well, you're gonna have to cut some of that out, you know? And I mean, I recognize that I'm an overachiever, I'm overcommitted, you know, I cut stuff out, you know, I I took care of myself to go through treatment. I learned how to accept from people. Um, Still very difficult, but I'm learning. That was very hard for me. Um, but I mean, it's, 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 it's a journey, you know, and I think, you know, where I am, I finished chemo, um, next week, January 31st is my official last day. It's such a good feeling. (sighs) But it's like, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, when your active treatment is over, that breast cancer is over and it's not, it is not, it is far from over. Um, so I, you know, as I, as I hit that next part of my journey, I, you know, I just, I I hope to continue to share so that we can can continue to break out of those cultural boxes. Um, my goal for Paul Jack Runway is to rock my outfit. Um, I don't wear bras anymore because I don't have boobs anymore as I'm I'm touching myself. And I, you know, I, I want people to know I lost all of my hair and I lost my boobs. And, you know, that doesn't take away my femininity. 
you know um there there's a song out there um that my friend just sent to me and it's called i am woman and i love it i listen to it like you said on repeat <laughs> and it's you know it's i am masculine i'm feminine i am me you know like just because you know whatever happened in my path decided to take this from me and give me this lovely little port um you know it doesn't make me any less ape i'm still ape um <laughs> So I got to share that. I got to share that. Yeah, Put that out there. Break so, that box. Like, just amazing and like inspirational. And I know okay. you're like, I'm just being me, right? But I, like, <laughs> it really has such an effect, you know. I'm on, glad. On so many people. And, and I'm glad I have the opportunity to tell you, but I'm sure there's people out there who maybe haven't, <laughs> who are still like, thanks thank her for sharing. I just, I I want people to know that, you know, you can advocate for yourself. You know, you don't have to take every single word from your doctor. You can question them. You can ask questions. You can ask for clarification. Um, You are a person, you know, make sure that you're feeling treated like a person. You know, like, not only are we a person, but like we're like the consumer, mm. you know, and like if you don't like your doctor, you can go get another opinion mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. that another facility. And, you know, I think there's such a like a like a fear and mm-hmm. like such a deference to like, oh, I'm going to defer to them because they're the doctor and I'm just doing what I'm told. And it's like we almost like give up some of mm-hmm. that. And uh, and so, yeah, that's something I really had to learn i was already a little bit on that journey because i've had some other like weird things that like have had trouble getting diagnosis for and i've had to really step outside of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. you know to advocate and it it does it makes me feel uncomfortable you know because it's like i'm such that like people pleaser kind of Mm -hmm. you know natural thing and 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 sort of in culturally it's like you do what the doctor says and you know and uh and there's a lot of ways you know to treat things and i like doing more holistic alternative or adding that in you know to my care and the and conversation yeah it's not either or right it's Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. uh and sometimes you know doctors aren't supportive of that or they're you know rolling their eyes or you know like they definitely make it known and you know and it makes people feel uncomfortable and and you know and i've always just had to keep doing what i thought was right for me uh, regardless of what anybody else thinks. And, and even with my dogs, I've had to advocate for their health care and, and go get second and third opinions and get into arguments and, you know, was called a witch doctor <laughs> by my veterinarian because I wanted to take my dog to acupuncture, you know, do these <laughs> these different things. And, like, that's definitely been... I don't like a like a lesson. I feel like I've had to learn in life is about standing up for myself, especially in like medical kind sure. of situations. Yeah, um, and yeah, and you've done and I and I'm. This is one of the first times I'm probably articulating <laughs> some of this out loud. So I'm so thankful to you for you know having shared your your journey. Um, do you were your dogs now? Didn't you have a dog? Didn't one of your dogs have like a health issue around the same time? Oh my gosh, Orbit! <laughs> like, did, did he blow his ACL? Yes, he okay. blow. he blew both of them and because of the pandemic we were not able to get him in for the first surgery until march oh my gosh um so the week the week i started chemo he blew his leg um my first day of chemo i went into the hospital he was he had diarrhea he was pooping um apparently his NSAID did not agree with his tummy i think kevin actually because I ended up in the hospital that whole weekend. And Kevin, 
had to keep going back and forth to check on orbit because he was pooping himself and he had the he had the runs so it was like on top of taking care of me and you know getting my first batch of chemo which is the the really bad one um poor orbit was also sick and unable to walk <laughs> so it was just it was oh my gosh oh girl oh and it did (laughs) let me tell you i mean it was just it literally the worst year of my life yeah yeah i'm like i'm just always so thankful to to tim and to my parents you know for really helping me and you know my friends who were sending me things and you know like the kindness you know that that and it's like you know people love you right Mm -hmm. but like Sometimes, it, like that, the action of love like really comes through, and, and going through breast cancer for that was like, oh wow, like people really love me, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it really, it really hit me, and it was such a, a chapter, and you know, and I went into all of this like, you know, so I'm like, this is not gonna change me, right? Like, I'm not gonna like, I worked pretty much full time, other than like the days I was actually in chemo or. Um, and, you know, having surgery or something. Um, and I, you know, I kept up with all my volunteer stuff and, you know, and I'm like, this isn't going to stop me. Like I, I kept my hair with the cold capping, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm like this, you know, I'm not going to let it take anything away from me, you know, like was kind of this, how I was going into it, you know, and then it's like, it changes, it still changes everything. <laughs> like I was like convinced, like it's not going to change me. It changed everything. <laughs> it absolutely does. <laughs> whether, whether you want it to or not. Oh, yes. Despite oh, yes. all your best intentions. But <laughs> You know, it's like, I guess if you have to go through something, you're just hope that you get something positive out of it. And, you know, in, for sure. In the end and, um, but so, yeah, so I'm sure your dogs were there for you during oh, yes. your whole journey of healing and stuff also. <laughs> for sure. I actually, the Facebook l- had had that lovely reminder of my first day when I got home from chemo before everything really went wrong and Orbit's like sitting on the couch right next to me, you know, so definitely throughout the whole thing. And I mean, Buddy, he's a complete wrecking ball, but he his love oh my goodness that dog is just straight up love and licks and happiness and <laughs> the unconditional love for sure yes, yes. April, thank you so much for your time thank you you have just been amazing i'm so glad we got to do this we've been trying <laughs> and it finally worked out <laughs> thank you so much thank you thank you for having me So that's a little bit of the I Am Woman song by Emmy Melly that April was telling us about. And I had never heard it until she was quoting some of the lyrics. And I was like, I have to go find the song. And we're only legally allowed to play 15 seconds or less. So that's all I can play for you in the podcast. But I will make sure to have a link to it on YouTube. You have to go listen to the song. It's extremely uh, empowering and also catchy and just a good song. Um, But I decided to throw that in. If you've ever listened to the podcast before, I usually play a little guitar segment, but I thought this would kind of be a nice little change of pace. So thank you to April for telling us all about that song. And of course, thank you so much to April for sharing her story and so much of herself with us. 
She's really doing some amazing work in the world, and I will make sure to have links to everything in the show notes so you can find her on Instagram and also all of her projects like Love Leads. I realized I don't even think we talked too much about April's fitness during our interview, but I know that she is actually certified as a personal trainer, and I know she used to teach like some spin classes, and I know if you follow her on Instagram at reshapewithape that you can see her daily workouts. She's always lifting big heavy things that I don't even know what they are. And of course, follow along with her adventures at Grandview Farm. She's just always up to cool things over there. And I'm so thankful to April for everything that she shared about her job, about everything we learned about how law enforcement and prosecutors and animal control, how they all work together or need to work together to prosecute animal abuse cases and animal neglect cases to the fullest extent of the law. And it was somewhat of a relief to hear that this is finally all being taken more seriously by the criminal justice system. I can remember being in college and taking a class on domestic violence cases and learning about the link between animal abuse and domestic violence. And that was, you know, back in the late 1990s, early 2000s. So this information has been around for for quite a while, and, and I'm glad that April's experience is that it is being taken seriously. And of course, I do just want to mention that April's not here as any kind of official representative or official capacity from the Baltimore County State's Attorney's Office. She's just sharing her own personal experiences, and we're all very thankful for that. It truly was a special experience for me to get to have that conversation with her and and to share more about my journey with breast cancer, because like I said, i it was really hard for me to talk about for a really long time, even even after I was officially a survivor. I know people get excited about being finished with active treatment, which, believe me, I was extremely excited to be finished with active treatment. But uh, as April has said, probably much more eloquently than I have, uh, cancer isn't over just because treatment is over and you're still learning. Your body is like never going to be the same again. And it's just a whole other world. And so uh, thank you for listening to this podcast, because it has really been a part of my post-cancer journey to, to do this in the first place. Breast cancer has been such a weird recurring theme in my life. And I guess sometimes it really puts it into perspective exactly how common it is and, and how many people it is affecting. Uh, we did lose my mother-in-law, Sherry, to breast cancer. She had been diagnosed uh, in October of 2002. This was when Tim and I had been dating for a little over two years at that time. And uh, we thought that we thought we understood anyway that she had caught it relatively early and and she would go through treatment and and be okay, but that's not what happened and uh things uh escalated very quickly and and we ended up losing her uh, about 9 months later in July of 2003. Uh she was only 47 at the time and my husband is now 47 at this time and it really just puts into perspective just how young that is and uh, Sherry was a really, really special lady, and uh, I'm always sorry that I didn't get to, you know, have more time with her. She never officially got to be my mother-in-law, because we weren't actually married then. <laughs> and one of my best friends, Amanda, who was a bridesmaid in my wedding, who I met when I was a teenager, uh, Amanda had been diagnosed with breast cancer uh, a couple years before me, and then while I was going through my journey, Amanda actually 
found out that she had metastatic breast cancer. And so she is currently living with stage four. And she had introduced me to the organization called Metaviver, which I will put a link to in the show notes. Uh, They're raising money and research and awareness for stage four breast cancer. Uh, Only a very small percentage of research dollars goes into stage four breast cancer, which is the breast cancer that will actually kill you. And uh, yeah, I I hadn't known about those kind of statistics until Amanda brought it to my attention. And so she has been living successfully with it for the last uh, three years now, I guess. And she is always uh, in the forefront of my mind. And there have been other women in the Baltimore dog rescue community who have been diagnosed with breast cancer just in the couple years since my diagnosis. And so it's just been shocking. It's just kind of been one after another after another. And uh, I'm so grateful that, you know, I've been able to to reach out to them and, and pass on any information that I might have that might be helpful. And of course, if anybody listening to this is, is being affected by breast cancer, please feel free to reach out to me at any time because uh, I have a lot of different resources. I, I've done some different treatments and things along the way, and I, I'm always happy to share about them if that's something people are interested. I know not everybody is, and that's fine too. We're all here, you know, doing our own thing on our own path, on our own journey, and I respect all of that. So before we sign off, I'll just leave you with one other sort of funny fact about my interview with April, which is that she's actually the first person I have had an interview with where we recorded at my house. I usually have a recording space uh, in a different location, but because April lives so close to me, it didn't make sense to go to the other end of town to the recording space. So I just had her come over to my house. Now, I will tell you, Tim and I don't usually have a lot of company over our house because I've talked before about my very shy and fearful guy, Nino. Penny is my perfect princess who loves everyone and everything, but Nino is our shy guy. And he gets weird sometimes when people come to the house. So we were a little hesitant and I wasn't sure if I should put him in the crate or not because sometimes he starts barking when he's in the crate and then I'm just imagining you know, that's all you'll hear on the background of the interview is him barking. So we thought we would try it with him being out of the crate. And so he did really, really well for like the first hour. You know, April was so good about just kind of ignoring him. He would just come up, sniffer, kind of run away and everything was going good until she went to get up to go into the other room. And I forgot to tell her no quick movements. And yeah, he came running over and tried to nip her in the leg. (laughs) So April has the distinction of being the first guest to, you know, be nipped by one of my dogs. So April, still sorry about that. And thanks for being such a good sport. (laughs) And so this will do it for episode 40 of the Believe in Dog podcast. Again, thank you so much for being here today. If this is your first time listening, I appreciate you. I hope you'll hit subscribe in your podcast app and check out some of the other episodes. We've had some amazing guests recently, and I have a whole bunch more all lined up that I'm so excited for you to hear. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook and at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores on Instagram. And I'll be sharing lots of photos from April, so you definitely don't want to miss those. 
You can always reach out to me at any time. My email is Erin, E-R-I-N, at BelieveInDogPodcast.com. And if you really loved this episode, please shoot me a note, shoot me an email, or leave a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your reviews truly mean the world to me. I read every single one of them, and they really do help more people find the show. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. The Believe in Dog podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.